You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. You're listening to the Show Jumping Podcast, a fun and informative show for riders, owners, trainers, grooms, and fans of all levels. I'm Ashley Winch in Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm Christy McCormick in Saratoga Springs, New York. And you're listening to the Show Jumping Podcast by Reline GI. For today's episode, we're joined by my good friend, Taylor Sesnick. We define lateral exercises and why they're important. And I'll share a recap from my most recent clinic at Dana Hall. But first, a word from our title sponsors, Reline GI. As the holiday season approaches, horse owners know that nothing puts a damper on the festivities like a horse suffering from ulcers. Finding an over-the-counter supplement that's both effective and safe can be a challenge, but this year, Reline GI by Haggard is here to spread some holiday cheer. This innovative polysaccharide blend combines high-weight hyaluronic acid, which is a natural lubricant found in the body, with immune-boosting beta-glucan to provide your equine companion with the support they need to thrive. Backed by a study conducted by renowned vets at Haggard, Reline GI has been shown to effectively treat gastric ulcers in horses, with 90% of horses experiencing complete resolution or improvement in ulcerative areas, increased appetite, weight gain, and positive behavioral changes. I'm going to add a personal note here. That horse that I spoke about in episode one or podcast one has started on this supplement and I have video proof of her improvement in her behavior. She is so much happier going forward. Her owner says she's eating better. So this is my, I'm not even the one that purchased the product, but I am riding the horse that's uh, benefiting from it. So I can definitely say that on this horse, it has some positive effect. Don't let ulcers put a Grinch in your horse's holiday. Visit www.resolvevet.com to learn more about Reline GI and read the study conducted by Dr. Slovis. Don't forget to use code SJP at checkout to slay your savings with 10% off your order. Make this holiday season one your horse will never forget with Reline GI. Taylor is joining me today, and she has been a longtime friend of mine for foremost, first and foremost. Um, and we met by way of her applying for a grooming job for me, which turned into a four-year approximately job working her way up through rider and manager. Um, Taylor is now also based out of Saratoga Springs, and she freelances as a Rider and trainer in this area. So thanks for joining us on the show today, Taylor. Happy to be here. Uh, so I wanted to talk today about, you know, the different aspects of working in the horse industry and how young girls who start as riders on ponies and then work their way up through the ranks of the horse show can navigate through the possibilities of where they might find themselves in this world that has so many possibilities to uh, follow different avenues, uh, diff- follow down different avenues. So I wanted to ask you, could you start with what you saw yourself doing as a young kid versus where you are now and what kind of jobs have you had in between? 
Well, I mean, you could talk for hours about that for sure. And I know we certainly have at some point down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, as a kid, I obviously like probably just about everybody else had dreams of, oh, I'm going to go and jump in the Olympics one day. But, you know, that's not necessarily for everybody. And I am walking next to the size jumps that you see on the Saturday night lights. We, I don't think that was ever anything I want to do at this point. Um, but it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey. I certainly have, uh, achieved things that I definitely in hindsight, probably really shouldn't have, um, been able to be in the places that I was in. And it was all due to really great connections that I made along the way. Um, I was very fortunate to kind of come from a really rural area that didn't have any sort of a circuit, anything, um, through high school. I, you know, I showed 4-H and I rode just about anything that anybody would let me ride. Um, so having the opportunity to go to Wellington and work in such just an incredible atmosphere with athletes, human and equine combined was just a really incredible experience all around. And I get so many applicants from girls who want to, and guys who want to join uh, a team like ours or did when I had a running business and their first priority though is riding. Um, and, and that's wonderful. And we all usually start this because we want to ride, but unfortunately this sport at, at the national level takes such precise ability, uh, and, and really a lot of horse, horse flesh that you need to have a lot of experience on and really work on in the ring and outside of the ring. Can you talk about the value of what kind of jobs are on the ground and what kind of jobs go into taking care of not just the animal itself, but really putting on this whole production so that the end result that is in the ring is what we call successful. I, I think there are so many steps that we miss that are that are probably more important than the, just the riding themselves. Well, absolutely. And I mean, I I started out as a groom and I, to this day, am, you know, just as eager to go in and pick stalls as I am to go and swing my leg over a horse. Um, it's, it's all extremely important. And the best thing that I can really say to anybody trying to find their way in, into the industry is take, take the time to go and learn those things. Anybody who is interested in entering that le- like that aspect of the industry um, that's graduating from high school. And I've had kids that say, oh, I, I'm just going to go right in and I want to be a trainer. And I'm the first one to say, listen, go take a gap year, go work, go be a working student for a really well-known professional, go to Ocala, go to Wellington. If you're on the West Coast, go to the big venues over there, find a place to go and do that and do it for a year. Learn everything you can, sit on anything that they let you ride, clean every piece of tack like it is the most meticulous thing you ever have to do, and then go to college for four years 
and mm-hmm. yep. Oh, and then and and then come back to it if that's what you really feel is what's your driving force and what you're meant to do in life. And granted, there are many other ways around it. This is just kind of my advice to anybody that's in more of like the general population of the horse industry and isn't already showing at that top tier um, as a junior. And it's really, you learn so much just from doing. I've, I've learned more from standing there with the vet and the farrier than I ever thought I could. Um, So, and it, and hard work pays off. I mean, people really, the good people that are going to help you succeed in this industry are the people that will give you opportunity if you work hard for it. And I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah, I, I can't emphasize the hard work part enough. You know, effort is really key number one to most jobs, but especially in this industry where riding is wonderful and it doesn't, you know, make a difference if you're a great rider or a good rider or an average rider, but it does make a difference in how hard you work and how much you pay attention. You know, I think you and I have had so many moments where we are standing there with Dr. Belden um, or Dr. Stewart, you know, late at night when we have a sick horse or a horse that has an injury that we need to care for right away. And I think the first part of any learning experience is listening and paying attention. And if I recall, you were, you know, you you really showed that to me that you were willing to put in the time and certainly listen to not me, but the other people around me that we were working with and, um, and learning from. And so, I think it's a struggle for many people that want to either be their own, you know, professional and have their own barn that haven't have skipped those minutes of listening to others when they think they might know it, especially most, especially really the kids that are showing in the junior ranks, because those are usually the kids that if they can afford to be in the ring and here's sort of the paradox of our sport. If you can afford to be in the ring, you generally don't, have a lot to do with what's going on in the ground on the ground and taking care of your horse. And in the past, that was the opposite. You know, everybody took care of their own horse and everybody mostly had one horse, maybe two, but it was their job to make sure their horse was prepared and gotten to the ring correctly and sound and turned out well, um, tack clean, like you said, you know, all the little details that go into it. And I look at some of these kids these days who have you know, horse after horse that are, they're showing, but don't even know what kind of bit goes in their horse's mouth. And so it's, it's a shame that we don't emphasize that more. And this goes back to, you know, a couple podcasts ago when I was talking to Amy Mamro about how there's, there's so many classes and so much to do that we lose the horsemanship part. And I think that it's, it's the horsemanship part has to come first. Um, can you talk about how horsemanship has applied to some of the jobs that you've had, um, recently in, in your riding and training, um, parts of your career and how, how important that is to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was right over COVID, I guess I really started, um, I, I wasn't going to Wellington, And I had decided to stay up north and I had taken a couple months, really realized that I needed to be back in the barn, which I knew it wouldn't last long, but I needed a little bit of a break just to kind of decompress from 
all the all the traveling and all the years of kind of doing it. And I found myself teaching at a local farm here. And it was it was a great experience. Um, and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to like teaching. And I, I really fell in love with it because the kids that I was kind of working with and it, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them are, were of a similar kind of stature from where I came from. Like none of the parents have a ton, a ton of money, but if you're willing to put in the time and to work, you know, you can kind of, you want to pick a couple stalls, I'll give you a lesson, you know, and try and work with them a little bit. And my, one of the coolest things I got to do was to teach these kids from the ground up. and. I always kind of got, <laughs> the kids always laughed and said that I was not the mean one, but I was the tough one because I had a rule that if you didn't clean your tack and I found out your entire lesson the next day or your next lesson was just cleaning tack for the entire hour, you didn't touch a horse. Mm, I love and that. That's great. It was because it it's just, it's so important. You are, you need to know if your equipment is faulty or something has changed or, you know, like wear and tear just happens. Things need to be replaced. And if nobody is, especially in a situation like that, where it's like kind of a school barn, if no, if everybody's passing the buck and it's, oh, well, so-and-so is going to ride the horse. So they'll, they'll clean the bridle or they'll check this. And it always just some, then something happens. Um, and it's super important. You know, the horses couldn't come into the ring with shavings in their tail. Um, you know, go back to the grooming stall, make sure your horse is clean. By the time you enter, it's a respect thing for your horse, not just a respect thing for your trainer who you're coming in to lesson with. Um, and attention to detail, you know, and like you're saying with the tack and noticing things about your horse. Yeah. Run your hands down their legs. I mean, I, I'm still the, you know, I curry my horses for at least 15 minutes before I do anything else with them. I, it's something I've done for years. I have my grooming routine and my horses always, you know, even if I'm just the only one at the barn, it's just a good standard to have. And I think if you don't set the standard, especially with people when they're learning it, it's really hard to then set it later. So if I can take a kid who knows nothing, I had a nine-year-old who I started teaching when she was eight, knows nothing, first time riding. And now I come in the barn and there she is on a stepladder currying her horse for 30 minutes before she tacks him up herself. And I sometimes have to help put the bit in the horse's mouth for her. And she, but she does everything else. She picks his feet. She does everything. And that kind of makes my heart warm because that's a kid who's going to do more and be more committed in the long run than somebody who's just coming in to swing their leg over for 35 minutes and then hand you the horse back. I, I love that. Yeah, exactly. So let's say you saw a kid through her riding time between, you know, the age of school age, nine to 18 or so. And they followed through with your advice to go through with a year, a gap year of working, doing anything for a professional and then getting their school education in. What kind of jobs do you see as being available that are not writing jobs, but are, or might have some writing attached to them, but what are the, what are the various possibilities for someone looking into 
working in the horse industry as a successful teammate to a barn, um, what, what kind of job should they look for? I mean, there are so many, whether you're looking directly in the barn, you could groom, manage, um, you know, and even if it's not necessarily going to show, you still need flat riders. And that's where a lot of people get a, you know, a good start. Um, you vet teching, you know, the veterinary industry is always in need of people. And a lot of, if you've had any actual time hands-on working in a high-end facility, you're, you're better off to go and do something in that field. You're more suited than somebody just kind of stepping out of college and maybe they haven't had the experience of all the horse handling. Um, you know, I kind of went a different route all around and I am in more of a corporate situation now, which, um, I, you know, kind of just fell into it. I wouldn't talk have about, talk about that a little bit too, because <laughs> yeah. I, I think that corporate side, the corporate side of the horse industry, we don't really know about as if you're, if you're really working in the barn, you don't even think about that. And to be quite honest, you don't even think about college. I mean, I get a lot of applicants who say they have a equine business degree or an equine management degree, and I don't even know what that is. And that is something And I say to them, this doesn't matter to me because I need real life experience. So What's an alternative that somebody might be able to take who has gone to school and has a degree in which is which is completely valid and and has so much uh, you know so much to be learned from? I'm sure they those students might actually know a lot of little details that I might not. Um, where can you take that, and what where has that led you with with your corporate job at this point? Well, I mean, for anybody looking to be, you know, just to obtain a degree as a backup plan and they still want to go headfirst into the industry, go spend your summers working. Go on the road and be a groom or a working student for somebody during your summers. You get your hands-on experience then. It's not taking time away from your school. And you're a, one step ahead of the game by the time you get in there. Most of the time, if you go that route, and I had quite a few people that I went to school with that did that. Um, you're going to have a job out of college pretty easily. Um, as far as uh, I was kind of different all around, I finished my degree, um, over after I was done working in, in Wellington. So I kind of just, yeah, I, but I wouldn't have, I ended up working for another animal health company that oh, kind of just fell into my lap because of a good friend and all of my jobs have really come from a connection of that sort. That's how I ended up um, just really working in the industry as a whole to this level was another friend needed help at a farm and I got a job through that. And I, so I just kind of dug into that a little bit and my experience in the, my hands-on experience working at this level was really what made me stand out, even though I didn't really know anything about marketing. I was going for a business degree, but I hadn't really gotten that deep into it at that point. So it was a lot of, you know, trial by error and um, just kind of figuring that out. I did a ton of my own research and webinars and 
things outside of my education that I was getting. And that job has led me to the one that I'm currently at. But in all reality, the the only reason that the only reason, but uh, the big driving force of how I've been successful at these jobs comes from my hands-on experience in the barn. I I know mm. what people in the barn are th- thinking, going through what dealing with certain lamenesses looks like. What ju- it's it's so tangible for me because I have a foot in still, and it's so, so diff- you're. Sorry, not to interrupt, but I'm what I'm trying to hear is you're saying that the 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 ride, not just the riding, sorry, the in the barn experience has added to any sort of corporate level of this, whether it's absolutely managing social media or marketing for a horse show or um, any sort of advertising for barns that, you know, uh, half of our horse show life seems to be online these days. And so you're saying that that getting that kind of real life experience is what makes it more effective in your corporate job. Absolutely. I mean, you need to know your audience and who you're speaking to and somebody who has never been to these events or, you know, kind of been on the road and dealt with horses at that level is not going to be able to speak to the, your target audience really in the, in the way that they're going to hear it. Um, even going from different discipline, English to Western, like I, you know, I'm fortunate we have a really great group of people and, um, I, you know, it, the Western pe- side is different from what I'm used to. So there's a lot of great reference points there. Um, but yeah, having that hands-on experience was really, um, it was important when moving into my second career. So I remember we had a conversation, you and I, a few years ago about how you might step into this business more independently uh, and on your own than working for another barn. And I remember us talking about there being a real need for educated trainers and barn managers to help the circuit that does not go to Wellington and that shows at the local B or A level. And I think that is still very needed, but can you talk a little bit about how, what you aspired to then and how that's maybe changed and some of the challenges you ran into and and where you feel you are now in that uh, line of work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my focus has definitely changed um, just as my career path has changed. I still, I love to teach. It's not a focal point anymore. I, it, it's, it's hard when you come into an, an area that is already pretty dense, horse dense to be able to, you know, hang your sign. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that, there, there is a huge need for people in, in every area that are willing to really put in the time and dedicate to the clientele that isn't necessarily the 1%. And if you, if that clientele, which is if, if we're being, uh, you know, it, that's a, that's most horse people are not the 1%, obviously, absolutely. you know, most people 
can't afford to go to Wellington. Most people need someone to manage their horse on a on a on a budget and can afford only X amount of lessons per, per week or month and ride. And I think that reality it can certainly conflict with how much training and how much uh, it, it can conflict with how much training can go into the horse, but it shouldn't conflict with how much horse care goes into it or, or back to horsemanship. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember you and I talking about how there there's a real need for um, attention to detail for these kind of uh, for these for anybody who's looking for that for these people. Um, but in reality, that still is a challenge in itself and giving, you know, trying to make trying to make a living doing that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's nothing's getting cheaper <laughs> and it's. Right. Um, you know, it, people still have to have to pay their bills, but there I, there's a way to do it. And a lot of it, unfortunately, comes down to the fact that like, if you can't afford to necessarily have somebody have a groom there for your horses, you have to do it yourself. And, and that's, that's fine. That and I think that's super respectable. But I think there is maybe a bit of a gap in the education of really turning out to a high standard. I mean, even if we're at a local schooling show, I still expect my anybody that I'm with to show up to the ring. They might not have to be braided, but they should their horse should look appropriate. He should be clean. Their tack should be tidy. And they should be tidy. Like things should just they should be ready to walk into the ring and look respectable. Um and I think that's important whether you have somebody there to prepare your horse for you or whether you have to do it yourself. And and certain and the education that that is requires both from the trainer, someone like yourself, you know, educating the student and the trainer themselves being educated. And that ball, it's very easy to, you know, start local and stay local and trying to expand. I think that's, you know, goes back to what you said as far as kids that are either in between college or before college start to do anything to learn and to work for some barns that can at least provide them with being involved in the environment where they get maybe not a national level of, of education, but, but barns that have, you know, that travel to horse shows and that get outside of their comfort zone. And you can, that's how you see different problems that need solutions. And, I find that if it's just very single-minded and you're going to the same place every season, it's it's you are less apt to run into different situations where you might, um, you know, improve your students. So Absolutely. certainly, you are more well-traveled than than um, than many in in any local area. Uh, where do you see yourself going from here? Um. Who knows? I'd love to, I'd love to keep, (laughs) um, you know, teaching a little bit here and there. And I, who knows, maybe I'll get a horse of my own eventually. Um, that would be a fun project. I think is is something that I'm going to focus on soon enough is getting a young horse and maybe, you know, seeing what I can develop and pass it off to you for a couple rides and (laughs) send it on its way. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that would be something pretty fun to do. 
Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, and thank you for all you've done for my barn in the last few years. It's fun to now sort of work side by side sometimes and um, see where, you know, where we both started from and are at these days. Uh, so anyways, I, I really appreciate you being on today. All right. Well, thank you for having me. So for today's exercise, we're going to discuss lateral movements on the flat. And most of these movements are done frequently in dressage. I think they're equally important in the hunter jumper world because they're really the basics of flat work. Um, there are so many elements to flat work, meaning transitions, pace, um, exactly, you know, where you want your horse to work underneath you is really the basics, uh, or basis of all jumping exercises that we do. So these movements are all done at the trot to begin with, and then they can also be done at the canter, which is a little more advanced. So there are six exercises that I'll discuss Four of them should be familiar terms, but for some riders, they're not. You know, I, I think that it's a real value to not just be able to understand what these are, but have someone who can teach you these in person. Um, this will be a nice compromise for that. And you can reference pictures for each of these movements um, on our Facebook page. It's always easier to look at it as a visual and then hear what they mean, um, uh, over audio. So, uh, best case to learn this is if you're watching a horse do this, which again, if you can look up anything online, please do look up YouTube videos of these exercises and watch someone perform them. Um, especially at a high level of dressage that will even enhance understanding them. Um, but in describing them, we're going to start with shoulder in and shoulder out. So as, uh, as you begin these exercises, you really want to do them at the walk first. And then once you have a good understanding of where each leg of your horse is and where their body is, you can move into the trot. So for shoulder in, your horse is going to be on three tracks. And when I say tracks, I mean the track that each leg is moving forward on. So on at a regular walk, our horse is on two tracks. Inside hind follows inside front. Outside hind follows outside front. If you're walking, let's say we're tracking left, and you're walking along your rail of your ring, you're going to lead your horse with an opening rein, left rein to the inside, and keep your inside leg on your horse so that you end up with a horse that's on three tracks. The front left leg is going to move to the inside because of that opening rein, and that's going to be on a track all by itself. So your left leg keeps your horse's haunch on the rail while your left rein opens and keeps the front end to the inside. The outside rein, and if you're tracking left, the right rein, would prevent your horse from actually turning in a circle. So you're using your inside leg and your inside rein as primary aids, and the indirect rein is the outside rein to make sure that your horse continues 
moving forward on a straight line. So your three tracks are singly in front, the left front leg. Then the center track is the left hind leg that is ideally directly behind the right front leg. So that's on one track. So again, inside front is on a single track on the most inside. Then the center track is the left hind that follows the right front. And then still on the rail by itself is the right hind. So your horse is in an angle off the rail. They're bent slightly to the inside with the inside rein being about six inches away from the neck in an opening rein. The outside rein, which is the direct rein, is against the neck. So those three aids are all working together together to keep your horse on an angle with a slight inside bend for shoulder in. And you should be able to maintain this on round on a straight line down the end down the side of the ring or around the end of the ring as if you're turning a little more on a circle. Shoulder out is exactly the opposite. You are going to be bending your horse to the outside and they're going to be on an angle pointed to the outside of the track. You want to move about six feet away from the rail so you have some room to guide your horse. You're going to bend your horse to the outside with your outside rein. So again, if you're tracking left, this is now right rein, bending your horse right with that opening rein. It's about six inches away from the neck. Your outside leg keeps the horse, the hind end on the track that we've just established as six feet off the rail and their head is towards the rail. And then you're steering with the left inside rein, which is now the indirect rein. So your three aids that you're using are inside, uh, I'm sorry, outside leg, outside rein. Those are your lateral aids, lateral meaning same side. And your inside rein is continuing, is against the horse's neck and continuing to keep them straight. So now your three tracks. Again, this is easier to understand visually. So reference the picture that's on our Facebook page. The first track is right front by itself that is along the rail. The center track is right hind. Again, this is if you're tracking left. Right hind following the left front foot, right hind foot following the left front foot. And then the left hind foot is most center towards the ring, towards the center of the ring by itself. So getting a feel of shoulder in and shoulder out is getting your horse to be flexible and supple on each side. And these are the most, these two are the most basic lateral movements you'll ever need. If you learn nothing else, learn shoulder in and shoulder out. It gets your horse bending in both directions. It gets them moving off of your outside and inside leg. It is how you should start any turn. And once you get into doing this at the sitting trot, which should be collected, you can work on doing this again in a straight line down the end of the ring. You can work on this along the short end of the ring as you're turning. And you can work on this at, at a circle. Circling at the shoulder in is also the basic premise of inside leg to outside rein. When you have shoulder in, you are trying to get the inside rein to be as light as possible. So you really want to work on giving and taking 
on the inside rain so they can accept your aid and have that release and get as soft as possible on the inside line and using that inside portion of their body so that the weight of the rein can go to the outside. So that's pushing your horse off the inside leg to get them light on the inside rein and heavier on the outside rein. And then as you're turning, that inside leg pushes the pressure, pushes away from the pressure of the inside rein and the outside rein continues to help the horse turn so that the front end is slightly to the inside of the hind end. The reverse is the same for the shoulder out. That is similar to turning with a counter bend. You would not want to turn on course as much with a counter bend as you would with the shoulder in, but it does work very much on getting your horse off the outside leg. If you have a horse that bulges while turning, you definitely want to work on shoulder out. And when you are doing this at the trot, you can be pretty specific as to where their feet go. You can do this at the canter as well. It's more difficult to get them on the three tracks. But if you have the understanding of the basics in shoulder in at the trot or shoulder out at the trot, that canter can really feel as if you're moving your horse off the outside or inside leg much easier than if your horse were on two tracks. So those two basics, shoulder in, shoulder out, first things you should work on. And if this is all you work on with your horse for a month, that's a huge improvement in lateral movement and that will help you moving on to the next uh, exercise. Um, The next exercise is haunches in and haunches out. This is a little more technical because it works on diagonal aids. So diagonal aids meaning inside rein, and outside leg. I know I just referenced inside leg to outside rein and shoulder in and out, but I'm talking now at this point on haunches in and out, working with inside rein, having a little more weight in it to begin for the bend and outside leg, moving your horse away from that inside rein on a diagonal. So the haunch is to the inside. So let's talk about the tracks for first, and then I'll go back to those aids. If you start on two tracks, Again, inside hind following inside front, outside hind following outside front, tracking left along the rail. You're going to bend your horse to the inside with the inside rein, but instead of opening the rein like shoulder in, you're going to move the hand just slightly towards the center of the withers. Do not cross it over the withers one bit. It has to be exactly straight away from the horse's mouth. The outside rein is going to open this time. So instead of both hands to the inside of the horse, both hands are going to move slightly to the outside. You're going to use your outside rein to keep your horse on the rail. That's your steering rein. Your inside hand to begin with is going to have slightly more weight because you're bending that neck and head to the inside. So they're looking left. And then your outside leg is going to move the haunch to the inside of the of the ring. So now your three tracks starting from the outside are the first track is the right front. The second track is the left front followed by the right hind. So that's the middle of the horse at this point with the haunches moved to the inside and the and the shoulders on the rail bent to the inside. 
And then the single track on the inside is the left hind. So again, right front all by itself. Center track is left hind behind. I'm sorry, right hind behind left front. Third track to the inside is left hind. Your horse is bent to the inside and your outside leg is moving the haunch to the inside and you're trying to not let them move off the rail. And that's what that opening outside rein is for. So the diagonal aids there, the direct diagonal aids are going to be that inside rein and outside leg. And you're trying to get your horse to move slightly more athletically with an inside bend and pushing their hunch to the inside. So ideally you have your horse lighter on that inside rein. Again, it's heavier to begin with because this is a more awkward maneuver for them. But if they can get off of the inside rein, you will still get that weight on your outside rein, but you're still having an inside bend. And that outside leg moves the haunch towards the inside. You can move your outside leg back a few inches away from the girth. That will help move the haunch over. Um, This is haunches in. Haunches out is the exact opposite. Again, move about six feet away from the rail. Bend your horse to the outside now. Haunches out. Whatever word is at the end of shoulder in or shoulder out or haunches in or haunches out, that's the that's the direction in which they are, need to be bent. So bend your haunches out. Bend them to the outside with that outside rein. That outside rein now goes to the center of the withers or just next to the withers. The inside rein meaning if you're tracking left, it's your left hand, is now slightly open, about six inches away from the neck. This is to steer and keep your horse on track. And then your inside leg, your left leg, moves the haunches out to the rail. So they're in a bit of a C position. They're bent out. The haunches are out. The left rein, inside rein, keeps them following the track. And of the three tracks, you have your most outside track is the right hind. The center track is the left hind following right front. And the inside track is the left front. Again, all of these, I'm just going to say these as if we were tracking left. When you track right, it is just the reverse. So we won't discuss which ones are right and left and make this as little confusing as we can. But um, that's the, that is the position that you want your horse to be in. So haunches out is bent to the outside and the haunches are to the outside. So again, reference the pictures for each movement. Imagine where you want your horse's legs to go. Imagine where you want their body to go. This is not just about their leg placement or head and neck bending direction. This is really about where their spine is. It's getting them flexible. It's warming their bodies up. And if we had all the time in the world, we would do these exercises at the walk with our horses before we ask them to do anything else because it's really important to really work on moving their bodies side to side. You're not moving side to side across the ring yet, but meaning moving away from one leg or another before we get into how to turn and how to you know, collect or go forward. If you do this first, your horse will be lighter in the bridle and it will be easier to collect and move forward later in your flat work. So those are the first two. That was a long explanation for shoulder in and out and haunches in and out. But those are really the two basics um, 
that are most utilized in in any sort of flat work and are most important in asking your horse to do anything laterally. Um, they dictate the next two exercises. So leg yield is the third lateral movement that that I'm going to describe. And that comes from shoulder out. So when you want to leg yield your horse or you want to want to um, understand how to move across the diagonal, you'd really like to begin in shoulder out where your horse is bent to the outside and has you have your outside leg on them. Then all you need to do instead of continuing in a straight line is look across your ring on a diagonal and move your horse over off that outside leg. Your aids stay exactly the same. You're asking for the shoulder out. So you have a little bit of a right. Let's if again, if you're tracking left, you're moving diagonally from the right corner of the ring to the left corner and you're using your outside leg, which if you're moving diagonally to change direction, this will then become your new inside leg. But you're using your right leg with a right bend and a left guiding rein. As you transition over from the shoulder out to the leg yield, this then becomes shoulder in in the new direction. So same aids, just new direction. Again, bending your horse to the inside. Another version of leg yield is to move your inside hand closer to the neck and open your outside rein. Both are correct, but in for the purposes of this exercise, focus on how shoulder out can put your horse in the position to leg yield. And yield just means move, move away from your right leg, leg yield on a diagonal across the ring to change direction. And notice that you'll be in shoulder in in the new direction. So again, Shoulder out is an outside bend with outside leg. Your outside rein is slightly open, about six inches away from the neck. Your inside rein is against the neck, and that's your steering rein. And you're moving your horse diagonally across your ring in a leg yield. You're moving from shoulder out through leg yield into shoulder in if you're changing direction. Half pass is the same principle, but using haunches in and out. So you already know where haunches in is. You're going to start in haunches in at the sitting trot or the walk. Both of these are correct to do at either, either gate. Haunches in, again, if you're tracking left, is a left bend with your hand to the center of your horse's neck or withers. Left bend, inside bend. This is haunches in. Outside rein is open. Outside leg has the horse with the haunch move back a little. So the haunches move to the inside. So they're bent to the inside. They're in a C position. So the haunches to the inside and the outside rein, if you're tracking left is the right rein that keeps your horse on a straight line. For half pass, you're moving again, diagonally across the ring. However, it's extremely important to keep your horse facing the end of the ring. So they're parallel to the side of the ring. It's very, very easy to attempt to do a half pass and have your horse then be on an actual diagonal of the ring, which is not half pass at all. You really have to move so that the haunches move first before the front end. 
This can feel very, very difficult. Some horses can get very confused at this. You have to really take your time. It's a difficult exercise to do. And the best way to think about it is to just move one foot at a time, keeping the the inside bend and using the outside leg. This is definitely done at the better off done at the walk first. And if you find your horse is moving sideways too much, meaning they're trying to cross their legs over and instead of moving on a diagonal, they're just trying to move directly to the left, go straight for a few moments and then regroup and start to move over from the haunches in. This can take a little while to figure out where your horse's strengths are and which direction is easier or not. Um, This is definitely going to bring out their strengths and weaknesses laterally on both sides. So your haunches in moving through half pass will eventually turn into haunches out when you are tracking the new direction. So to repeat those two things, leg yield and half pass, leg yield starts with shoulder out. Half pass starts with haunches in. Again, reference the diagram on where your horse should be tracking. And you just want to take your time and move your horse from your leg across the ring while keeping the correct bend. Once you've established those exercises, you can do this at the canter. Um, Leg yielding at the canter is generally going to just result in that counter bend and moving your horse off your outside rein and leg. Um, You're going to end up then in a little bit of an awkward position at the end of the ring. So I recommend doing leg yield at the trot. But a half pass at the canter is very effective both for moving into the counter canter as well as doing a lead change. So if you're moving into the counter canter, you're starting with haunches in at the canter and haunches in is the position for cantering. That's, that's an easy part about this is when the horse is in a canter, their hind end is already to the inside if they're doing it correctly. And their front end is already on the rail. So keep the inside bend, keep the outside leg. We already know that's the basics of any cantering. And just make sure you're using your outside rein. Again, if you're tracking left, outside rein is the right rein. And that will be your steering rein. If you can find a true haunches in towards half pass, you've already done it at the trot, You can maintain all of those aids while you change direction and move into the next corner. If you can visualize across the diagonal, this is holding your counter lead, your new counter lead. Again, haunches out is the counter canter. So you're already in that position. And what you've got to make sure you do is make sure that your horse is really off that inside rein. It's very easy for them to fall out and get heavy on that in that um inside I'm sorry for them to fall in and get heavy on that inside rein as they're moving through the half pass you want to make sure that they're light and on the outside rein the new outside rein so that as you're cantering across the diagonal you can really maintain that inside that inside bend that moves into outside bend for the counter canter if you'd like to do a flying lead change Ask for the half pass to begin first, but halfway through your diagonal, you're going to then change the bend. You're already off the, what is going to be the new inside leg. Again, reference these pictures to make sure this seems a little easier than hearing the description, but you're moving your horse. If you're tracking left from half pass at the canter, your outside leg is moving them over. You start with the inside bend, which is the left bend. And then halfway through, keep moving them off the right leg. 
switch the bend into the right bend, and then add your new outside leg, which is the left leg, to change their lead. So if they're in a correct haunches in, it should be very easy for them to come off the new inside bend and then change their lead into the right lead so that you're now tracking right and now you're into the haunches in to the right. To make that exercise simpler, do that at the trot. Haunches in, move through half pass in the center of the ring, switch into going straight into haunches in in the new direction. So when you switch into haunches in, you're not going to be half passing anymore. You're going to try to go straight. That would be essentially where the lead change leads you. And now you have a tracking right inside bend. Outside leg keeps the haunch to the inside and the outside rein, which is the left rein, keeps your horse straight. So that's a lot of lefts and rights. That's a lot of description on where your horse should be off one side or another. But again, use these pictures, watch videos, find You know, if you can figure out where somebody is doing the half pass or where someone's doing the shoulder in or shoulder out, look for where each leg is and see if you can see these different tracks. So that is our exercise for today for training exercises on the flats. Uh, Have fun working through that and don't get frustrated when your horse doesn't quite understand where each aid, what each aid is telling them to do, because there's a lot going on for them as well. Ho, ho, give your horse the holiday gift of gut health. Horse owners know that ulcers can be a real pain in the, well, you know. The challenge is finding an over-the-counter supplement that's both effective and safe for your equine companion. This holiday season, give the gift of Reline GI by Haggard, a polysaccharide blend of high-weight hyaluronic acid, a natural lubricant found in the body, and immune-boosting beta-glucan. Backed by a study conducted by renowned vets at Haggard, Reline GI has been shown to be effective in treating gastric ulcers in horses. In the study, 90% of horses showed complete resolution or improvement in ulcerative areas, including increased appetite, weight gain, and positive behavioral changes. Don't let ulcers dampen your horse's holiday spirit. Visit www.resolvet.com to learn more about Reline GI and read the study conducted by Dr. Slovis. Don't forget to use our code SJP at checkout for 10% off your order. Happy holidays from Haggard and Reline GI. I just got home from teaching a two-day clinic at Dana Hall School, where the equestrian program is run by Sarah Summers and Carly Corbacho. And I had a great time. I had a wonderful group of riders to teach. I was so impressed by the quality of horses that they have at the school. Some of them were student-owned horses, and some of them were school horses. And all of the horses were just so nicely turned out. You know, going back to our interview with Taylor, the horsemanship there is, you know, really, uh, they must place a high value on it because those horses were, their coats looked good. They were well fed. They were all very sound. So that was really nice to see. Um, I taught four groups of riders each day and they had a variety of riding levels. Some jumped two, six, some jumped three foot, some jumped three, six. But what was most fun was really seeing the effort that they put into the lesson. And we set to this pretty technical course in the ring that 
had a lot of different challenges and questions we could ask, a lot of bending lines. We had a straight line of three strides to three strides that either way rode very forward to very short. Um, we had a, a circle in the center that we really had to work on how to turn your horse with all your aids. And the biggest lesson that I ended up teaching almost each group was how recovery on the landing really affected your approach to the next jump, especially in an indoor. It was a great size indoor, but you still only have so many number of strides between, you know, each line to the next approach. So whether it was coming off a forward line and holding that line to the end of the ring as long as they could, or slowing down enough to make sure that they were coming forward out of the next turn. Um, they all did such a great job with, with trying their best and improving on, on what they could do. So uh, clearly Sarah and Carly do such a great job because every student had a great understanding of pace and track. Certainly there were moments where we had to tap into fine tuning both, uh, but it was so much fun and I really appreciate um, them having me and I can't wait to go back. Be sure to like, subscribe, and tell your friends all about the Show Jumping Podcast. Videos, photos, and more descriptions of our exercises on our Facebook group, Overheard on the Show Jumping Podcast, linked in our show notes. Wishing you all a very Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year.